0: Welcome to the Excavation Safety Alliance podcast, where leaders in damage prevention sit down to tell stories, highlight new technology, and share their passion for safety.
1: I'm Scott Landis, President of Infrastructure Resources, publishers of the DP Pro Magazine, and owners of the Excavation Safety Alliance membership site. This is part of our Excavation Safety Alliance Ask the Expert interview series. The goal of these interviews is to take for you to take away some practical ideas you can use. Today, I'm here with Jim Prozac and Tony Jorgensen. Both Tony and Jim are attorneys who work extensively on utility damage cases, so they have a lot of great real-world tips to pass on today. Before we let them start talking about today's topic, I'd like both Jim and Tony to tell the audience a little bit about their background so you can really see why they're so qualified um, to be giving us some input today and why they're so passionate about damage prevention. So Tony, why don't we start off with you talking about a your background? Thanks, Scott.
0: Um, my name's Tony Jorgensen. I'm an attorney um, here in uh, Oklahoma City. Um, I've been practicing since uh, 1996. Uh, Jim and I have been practicing almost exclusively um, doing damage recovery, damage prevention uh, type work for uh, a number of uh, utility owners, including telecom, gas, um, electric, who've also represented um, excavators and contractors from time to time. But it's been the, the bulk of, of of my work for the last uh, uh, 20 plus years. I've had the good fortune of, uh, of spending most of that time working with, with Jim on, on his client, with his clients and, 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 uh, coordinating with, with Jim on, a, on a lot of our, a lot of our joint work. Um, would uh, I consider him, uh, most definitely my, my mentor. And, and I can tell you that, uh, you know, my passion for, um, damage prevention, damage recovery, um, all comes from 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 Jim. I mean, I think he is um, clearly a leader in the in the field, and and I'm just uh, uh, trying to carry the torch as as Jim uh, uh, tries to tries to scurry out the back door, so to speak.
1: Well, well, Jim, I'm I'm not sure you ha- how you add to that, but I know your background <laughs> is is a pretty varied and a really good fit for this. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your background?
2: Well, I want to thank Tony for that compliment, first of all, Scott, uh, but uh, mentor simply means old. (laughs) Uh, I have been practicing law for uh, over 35 years at this point in my career. I have been uh, working on utility damage and right-of-way issues uh, since the late 1980s. In addition to uh, actually representing uh, utility owners and excavators in this arena, I have also uh, served on various uh, industry organizations and I'm currently the advisory director to the Oklahoma One Call Systems Incorporated, more commonly known as uh, Oki 811 or Call Oki. So I have been doing this and lecturing at industry forums and have had the good fortune to be able to participate in damage prevention activities for the better part of 30 years.
1: Uh, Today, Jim and Tony are going to provide some great insights into evidence collection and preservation in the event of a damage. Um, Jim, can you kick things off by explaining why damage investigation and evidence collection is so important? Yes, Scott, I'd be happy to. Uh,
2: The case that you're going to have is only as good or as bad as the investigation that you do. Uh, It's easy to be a good lawyer if you have good facts and you have good evidence to support those facts. It's very, very difficult to be a good lawyer or to win a case if you don't do your investigation and you don't have facts. Uh, And you don't have the evidence to support those facts. Uh, Some of the things that we want to talk about are the importance of photos, uh, the importance of taking good measurements. Uh, One of the key factors uh, in every damage case is, did the damage occur within what is defined in most damage prevention statutes as a tolerance zone? Uh, Be that 18 inches, be that 24 inches, or be that, 30 inches depending on the particular state statute. So uh, first of all, was the facility marked? If the facility was marked, uh, did the damage occur within that tolerance zone? Was it accurately marked? So the first thing you want to look for is you want to look for pictures of the marks. Uh, were there marks there? If you if you don't have any pictures of the marks, nobody's going to know. Uh, and then once you see the mark, How far away were they? It's like the fish I caught was this big. Well, how big is that? Well, unless you've got something on the other side and a way to measure the distance between my hands, you don't know if it's 6 inches away, 18 inches away, or 24 inches away. And remember, while you are very, very familiar with what goes on in your business and your industry, you're going to put this case on someday to a judge or to 12 people on a jury who know absolutely nothing about what you're doing or why you did it. So you you need to be able to show them and you need to be able to document those facts. And that's what you do as a part of your investigation. If you have a bad investigation, your case is not going to go anywhere. Uh, if you're uh, on the defense side, if you have a bad investigation, the other side is, Going to put it to you, so you need to do an investigation up front to know how to proceed, either with the claim or defending the claim.
0: Yeah, Scott, I would just add, you know, these these um, um, the tools and the, the importance of, of of collecting evidence. Uh, you know, Jim and I, um, we've spent the the majority, not all, but the majority of our um, careers in, in damage recovery on the, on the plaintiff side, um, uh, seeking damages on behalf of um, telecom companies and gas companies and so on whose facilities are damaged. Um, all of this applies equally to um, contractors, excavators, you name it, who are defending these claims. I mean, the the truth of the matter is, um, the likelihood that that um, that we're even going to see a file to make a claim, let alone try a lawsuit you know, a couple of years later. Uh, the, 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 the amount of time that expires uh, between the event itself and, and, and when anybody um, actually tries to recover damages or has to is put in the position of having to, to defend against damages um, is, is typically anywhere from you know in, in my experience you know two years. Six six months to two years probably. So um, you know, with with that in mind, and and, and um, you know how how far in the distance you're going to be when you're actually needing to use this, um, you'll never be able to recreate it uh, at, at that time. So it's important to get it right then and there. You know, in in the lawsuit context, essentially you could break them down into two types of evidence. Um, You'll need evidence with regard to liability, whose fault was the damage. There may be more than one. It may be, um, you know, the plaintiff shares some fault. The excavator share some fault. Um, but there are, you know, the, the one purpose of collecting evidence is is to uh, uh, be able to to establish liability or prove liability at trial uh, to meet your burden of proof. Uh, the other poor part are, are damages. Um, what, the, the the entity or person who um, uh, suffered damages has to be able to prove those um, down the line. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and typically, um, you know, the types of damages that you you get in, in uh, facility damage um, incidents at, at, at threshold matter or the cost of repair, and we can talk about those. Uh, different elements of damages later, but but that's the two we're trying to um, uh, uh, discover and preserve evidence in order to show liability and damages. And like Jim was saying on, on the liability side, uh, who did it? Um, and that's where photographs, measurements, um, and that type of that type of evidence is critical to um, uh, to uh, uh, collect right
1: then and there. That's interesting. So uh, Jim, what what other type of evidence do you think you need to collect to establish liability?
2: Well, uh, the last thing Tony said there was who did it? And we'll give you an example. One of the things that I always tell when we do presentations on uh, evidence gathering and claim prosecution or claim defense is who did it? When you're out there at the scene and there are a bunch of people milling around. One of the things I tell the guys do is go over and take a picture of the license plate on the back of the truck, take a picture of the name on the door of the truck, take a picture of the equipment, any, any identifying information on the equipment. And an example I'll give you is a case that Tony and I had down in Florida we were trying to examine the company that did the damage. And somebody gave us the name of a company. Well, there were three or four different companies in Florida that had that name or a name similar to it. Turns out that the company that actually did the damage wasn't even from Florida, they were from Georgia. So uh, you can have the best case in the world, but if you don't know who did it, uh, you're not gonna be able to make a claim. So take a picture of the truck. Take a picture of the license plate. Take a picture of the guys standing there if you can. Collect business cards. Know who is out there at the site.
0: Yeah, exactly. I agree, Scott. And then, you know, it used to be in a, in a perfect world, um, uh, the, the best evidence of, or the best that you would be able to find about, you know, who actually damaged the facility would be the one-call ticket itself. I mean, the excavator should call in a one-call ticket, and and that name should be on the one-call ticket. Um, You know, a lot of states, um, you know, uh, don't require um, kind of contrary to CGA best practices. A lot of states now um, uh, don't require uh, the the excavator themselves to have a ticket. In other words, a, a subcontractor can can dig on a um, on a uh, general contractor's excavation or uh, locate request. Uh, in the states like Florida or I'm sorry, Texas, for example, it's not in the the, the one call statute itself. It's a um, a judge made rule that essentially says a a subcontractor can excavate under a general contractor's ticket and so whereas before um, it, it was much easier to determine the who done it so to speak by just looking at the locate ticket assuming one was called in uh, becomes a little bit more uh, difficult now and in doing things like you know Jim suggested you know taking photographs even even interviewing uh, witnesses on site, um, trying to get statements from um, excavator um, personnel, uh, all of those things to determine uh, the, the who done it part of it uh, are, are, perf- are, are, are very important evidence to collect with regard to liability.
1: That's that's good. I mean, that, that sounds like some some uh, good evidence to figure out who did it, kind of the liability thing. So. What kind of evidence would you, would you need to establish you know, how much the damages are? What, what are the actual damages?
2: There are a number of different items of damages. Uh, number one is what does it cost to repair the facility? So you're going to want to collect contractor invoices. Uh, you're going to want to collect your own individual's time. Just because you used your own personnel to uh, perform a repair doesn't mean that goes without value. If these folks weren't doing the repair, uh, you're looking at a line, whether it be a communications line, whether it be an electric line, whether it be a gas line, that worked very, very well from the time it was put in the ground until the day somebody damaged it. And essentially what these folks then have to do is go back and redo the work that somebody did 5, 10, 15, 30 years ago. What that does is that takes them away from productive work that they could be doing to uh, move your system forward, to protect your system from other damages. It takes them away from productive work and makes them redo work that they've already done. So you want to uh, gather the time of all of those people involved. And it's not just the people that are out there in the field actually Uh, welding a pipeline back together or splicing a telecommunications line back together. There's all kinds of people that support them. If you have a gas line failure, you've got the people back in the plant who are working to stop the flow of gas, who are dealing with the authorities uh, while this is going on to keep everybody informed. If you have a telecommunication line damage, you have the people in your network management center who are uh, monitoring the network to see how the repair is progressing to move uh, telecommunications traffic around. So you want to capture all those people's time because it's a very, very important part of your damage.
0: I agree, Scott. And, you know, in addition to um, the repairs, uh, you know, I I, I don't know that that Jim and I could, could possibly come up with an exhaustive list of the elements of, of or potential elements of damage that a that a facility owner or a contractor may um, incur as a result of a, a facility damage. But you know, a few examples in you know, in addition to the cost of repair of a of a uh, a damaged facility, you know, on the, on the contractor or excavator side. Um, you know, a mismarked or an unmarked uh, utility may result in um, damage or or necessitate repairs or or cause the loss of use of of an excavator's equipment. Um, uh, you may damage your your track hoe, your backhoe. Uh, it, you know, if 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 you strike an unmarked utility, um, oftentimes there are uh, downtime claims that. Um, that uh, uh, contractors and excavators bring in the in the in the case of an unmarked or um, uh, inaccurately marked um, uh, facility uh, back on the utility owner's side. Um, uh, telecom um, companies often seek loss of use damages. Uh, typically, measure those by rental value. What what it would cost a um, telecom carrier to get uh, to to rent. Um, the equivalent capacity to get traffic between um, the points A and B. Uh, so in that regard, you'd want to collect evidence to show the capacity of the, of the particular cable, the duration of the outage, uh, what those rental rates are um, from, from other potential carriers in the case of uh, uh, gas or oil um, damages. Um, uh, typically those are uh, uh valued by the, the the lost product and so um you know there's some mathematical formulas uh, that, that depend on you know the size of the the hole or the puncture in the pipe the the duration uh the pressure uh that the product was under all of that evidence um, you'll need to collect uh, almost immediately uh or or it's going to be lost forever um, customer credits, customer refunds, if you can establish that, um, you've lost business, that customers have left, um, because of a, of a, of a particular damage. Um, you know, I, I see that all the time in, in, um, in telecom, uh, where you, uh, get a lot of you know, complaints about block calls or, or internet services down. And, and so what some of those end user customers don't understand is that, uh, The reason their internet's down and the reason their their kid can't complete their uh, their online assignment uh, is not because uh, the 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 cable or the telecom company um, uh, is not doing its job. It's because uh, there was a a facility damage somewhere, Uh, and so sometimes those those customers get get very upset. It damages um, goodwill. So to the extent that you can capture that type of damage. you know, I guess, you know, when it comes down to it um, on on the issue of damages, um, the the issue that comes up in nearly every claim, every lawsuit, uh, at least from the plaintiff's side where, where we're seeking to recover damages, is that somewhere along the line, uh, somebody, be it an insurance adjuster, whatever, is going to try to Monday morning quarterback, these damages, you know, and so the evidence that you're collecting out there on the site, or 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 what you're going to need later, is you're going to have to establish that those damages you're seeking were not only necessary and 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 didn't constitute betterment or, or so on, but they were necessary and they were reasonable. Um, you know, it may not be reasonable to um, you know you have a, a facility damage on on a rural road where maybe three people tr- travel up and down that road every day to hire uh, traffic control uh, uh, you know and have flagmen uh, out there all day long at you know at a rate of you know two three hundred dollars an hour and, and, and so when when the Monday morning quarterbacks come around and you've got that type of uh, claim in your in your damage uh, it's hard to justify but it's easy to adjust it by when you've got a facility damage or an aerial facility that goes over, you know, say, you know, I-10 in, in, in LA. Um, it's easy to justify traffic control in that situation, but you have to document that. I mean, why did we do what we did and, and was it reasonable and necessary?
1: Boy, that's uh, that's a ton of stuff. It really really is staggering what, where the cost could go. So, you know, I think that's an important message to get out, not just for attorneys and plaintiffs, but to people who are trying to rush something and maybe not you take all the cautious steps to dig safely because the the damages can obviously be astronomical. And you know, with that said and and your other tips, what would you guys say is the the kind of the biggest takeaway from, from today?
2: Well, Scott, what I'd like to do is is go back, if we have a few minutes, and just revisit some of the things we talked about with respect to liability, because that'll dovetail into the takeaway. I think you've really got uh, several categories of evidence that you want to establish liability. First of all, is just the physical evidence itself. Uh, You want to take photos of, uh, was there warning tape in the ground? Uh, you want to take photos of uh, your measurements. Uh, there, there are two measurements you want to take: is where was the facility in relation to the marks? Uh, one of the things that uh, that we encourage people to use are uh, what uh, I think are called in the industry as hit kits. They're large rulers that you can put in the picture that give you a perspective. Uh, the other thing you want to look at is you know how deep was the hole you, you wanna take measurements down into the hole itself. With respect to uh, uh, things beyond the physical evidence uh, you wanna, uh, of the hole itself, uh, what is the approach like? Are there warning signs around? Somebody said, well, I had no idea that there was a cable or a pipeline here, yet within 10 feet of the place where the damage occurred, there's a bright orange sign saying, warning, buried gas line, warning, buried electric line, something of that nature. So you wanna get photographs of the approach. Maybe there was no sign right there where the damage happened, but in order to get to the place where the damage happened, you had to pass four signs. So what did you think? That the line miraculously went up into the air or just disappeared when you got to where the damage happened? The other thing you want to do is you want to look for the documents surrounding the project. Were there construction drawings? Were there project drawings? Many times construction or project drawings are going to show utility lines that are located in the area that the work is going to take place. It's very, very difficult to make an argument. Well, I didn't know that there was a gas line there when right there on the plan that you're working on it says Buried gas line warning. Don't hit this gas line. You look for the admonitions in the drawings themselves. They'll often tell you what precautions that you need to take in order to. Uh, and that makes a very compelling case when the when the project drawings you're handed said uh, contact each utility and here are the numbers at which to contact each one of these utilities, and you don't do it. Identify the witnesses. You know Who are the people that you're going to want to talk to? And talk to the witnesses while their memories are fresh. Uh, I'll give you an extreme example of a case. Uh, Wisconsin has a six-year statute of limitations for uh, property damage cases, which means that uh, a party can wait six years before he actually files the lawsuit. I was involved in a case where it, was just fortuitous uh, that I was out with a person who told me about this case because when we happened to be talking about something else so I knew what happened on this particular case. Well the uh, the lawsuit was not filed until six years after the damage actually happened and the project engineer and the field person who were involved in the project had both died Jeez. So I, the witnesses literally were dead. So identify those people and find out what they know at the time. Collect those drawings at the time because documents disappear. And you want to get all that stuff gathered up as close to the time of the incident as you can while it's still fresh in everybody's mind, while a document still exists before somebody packed everything in a box and forgot where they put that box. So that goes back to the quality of your investigation. Do your investigation in a timely manner. Uh, make sure you capture those key elements uh, because five years later, nobody's gonna remember what happened.
1: Yeah.
0: He's I'd just add, Scott, that that, the easiest way to do that and to to make sure that you're you're trying to recover, uh, collect um, all the evidence you can, um, when it happens, the easiest way to do that, lots of companies out there uh, have developed really um, great um, facility damage reports. Uh, They are you know, when you've got your folks out there uh, on the site of a, of a damage and uh, things are sometimes a little chaotic, the weather's um, rarely uh, ideal. It's, it's, you know, lots of times late Sunday night, you name it, um, a, a good, repeatable, um, thoughtful uh, 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 incident report that has uh, a checklist, so to speak, uh, so that folks don't have to remember um, uh, everything that they need to collect. It's right there for it. If something in particular is not applicable in that incident, they just, you know, skip by it. But uh, I would say a, a, a takeaway, if you, if you, to collect uh, evidence and to make it uh, useful, is a thoughtful, repeatable um, uh, incident uh, recording. Uh, form that that folks can have in their in their trucks or vehicles and use in the event of a damage.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, that's all really good advice um, and and practical, e- easy to use, and can really make a big difference in the outcome. So um, oh, and I want to thank you guys again. That was uh, really good information. Um, also want to let our uh, viewers and listeners know if they want to subscribe to the DP Pro magazine, they can go to DP Pro, excuse me, dp-pro.com. And if you'd like to learn more about the Excavation Safety Alliance membership program, you can go to alliance.com. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Excavation Safety Alliance Ask the Expert series. See you at the next episode.
0: Thank you for listening to the Excavation Safety Alliance podcast, an infrastructure resources initiative. Join the Alliance at excavationsafetyalliance.com, where you can find full video editions of this podcast, training videos, a vibrant community, and so much more.